Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. What would you do if your firm was more profitable, if you made more money? We all want to build better businesses so we can be better architects. Better businesses start with planning your profit. Download our free course, Profit for Small Firm Architects, at entrearchitect.com slash free course. Entree Architect Podcast, episode 144. Welcome back to the Entree Architect Podcast. My name is Mark Arlapage, and this is the podcast dedicated to a successful life as a small firm architect. Whether you have plans to someday start your own firm whether you're in the process of launching a startup or you might be an experienced small firm architect just trying to make a difference, this podcast is for you. My goal is to inspire you to build a better business so that you may pursue your purpose with passion and live the life of your dreams. It's a critical part of your marketing plan. Well, you're, you're out there hustling, you're shaking hands, you're responding to all your RFPs. You got that down, right? You've got that business development thing down. That's all business development. And at the other end, your brand is strong. Your website's working, right? We talked about that in past episodes. And all your marketing material, they're all telling your story, right? You have that all figured out. But somewhere in between the two, between business development and your branded marketing materials, lies a critical step to your success as a small firm architect. It's called public relations. And if you get it right, your phone will keep ringing with your next best clients. This week at Entree Architect Podcast, design evangelist Julie Taylor joins me to share three proven public relations strategies 
for small firm architects. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is sponsored by TrueStyle, the leader in high-end architectural interior doors. Learn more at truestyle.com. And Tanglewood Conservatories, combining the romanticism of the 19th century glass architecture with state-of-the-art technology of today. Learn more at tanglewoodconservatories.com. Julie Taylor, welcome to the Entree Architect Podcast. Thanks so much. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for joining me here today. We've been we've been friends for a while. We, we okay. sort of bumped into each other on social media, most likely Twitter. I think that's where we first found found one another. Um, may have been somewhere else. It's been a while, so I'm not sure where yeah. we first found each other. Um, but we've we've bumped into each other at, at conferences and conventions in the past. So uh, we've been uh, we've been friends for a while. So and you, and you're not an architect, correct? Uh, you're a design evangelist. This is how I, yes, yeah. I'm an honorary yes, that's right. LA architect. That's right. Honorary <laughs> AIA from LA. Um, you're the founder and principal of Taylor and Company and Taylor and Company is a firm specializing in PR, public relations and marketing for architects and design professionals specifically. So that's who you work with. You work with us. Right. Um, and so, and you've worked with some of the biggest names in the profession, some, some big firms. Um, you're also a director on the board at AIA National. Uh, and you're also a writer and a speaker. So you've written a couple of books and you do a, a whole bunch of speaking. Yes. Uh, I've seen you speak. Uh, very good speaker. Um, so that's sort of a little bit of who you are and what you do. What I'd love to do is start off with your origin story, like we always do here at Entree Architect Podcast. Sort of go back to your uh, where you first discovered architecture. What sort of drew you to that to that world? Because you've you know dedicated your profession to the architects and architectural profession. So what sort of inspired you to do that and give us your origin story and your journey from that point up to where you are today? Great, great. Happy to. Well, I've always been um, drawn to creative expression. I studied art history and fine arts. And um, when I decided not to go into that professionally, I always wrote too. So I went into magazine publishing. Um, before I did that, though, I my first job out of college, I was a secretary receptionist, as many of my generation are, and I figured if I had to do that for a while, it would be something that was interesting. So I was at an architecture firm in Chicago, um, and so I, I, I learned some stuff on the job, uh, typing spec memos and going back into the studio and asking what a soffit is and having them draw that out for me. Um, and then when I moved to New York to be a magazine editor, I was at a magazine for interior designers. And so it was kind of a lovely thing that they could now read what I was writing. Um, and I continued on that. I love the industry. The, the people are smart and creative. And I look at design and architecture as art in a business context. Um, as much as I love fine art and some of the, the artists that I love the most, like Irving Penn or Richard Avedon, the photographers who had a thriving commercial practice as well as a thriving artistic practice, and you couldn't really tell the difference. Um, so when I decided to go into PR and leave publishing, um, working it with the in the design industries was the natural and I came out to LA 
to run the PR and marketing communications at Pacific Design Center. Um, the large design center. So I was working with furniture, with architects, with designers, representing the building, really getting into this industry and just loving it, loving it so much. So I started my own firm in 94 and my first client was SciArc, uh, Southern California Institute of Architects. So went very deep, heavy into the architecture realm, started working with some of instructors and alumni and the uh, the firm grew from there um, the art in a business context is one thing that really does draw me I'm fascinated by what architects do that there's nothing there and then there's this building that has to stand up and work and be incredible and on time and on budget and still have some kind of personal expression it amazes me. It's also not my talent at all. The work that I was doing, photography and whatnot, it's all two-dimensional. I can't wrap my head around thinking about that. So I can be the biggest cheerleader for it. We don't represent fine artists and photographers, pretty much for that reason. Um, and so I'm, I'm just, I'm thrilled to be able to you know, be an advocate for architects who I, I truly feel need it in this, in, in the U S for sure. Yeah. I, I, um, yeah. And you're so passionate about it. I mean, I've, yeah. I've, I've known you for a while and I've seen you speak. Um, you speak about architecture better than most architects, <laughs> you know, there's clearly a, a passion of yours. Um, yeah. and I love the idea of art in a business context, um, that that's what architecture is. Uh, what 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 caused you to make that decision to go from publishing to PR? What what made that transition? It's it's not a um, it's not an unusual transition. Um, I was I was working in New York and I was at a magazine and I loved it, but I was ready for a real change um, in my life in a few different ways and. When the Opportunity Pacific Design Center came up, I was like, well, this is perfect. Brings me to LA, the whole other side of the country, a whole other side of, of the business. And having been an editor, before before I decided to go into PR, I thought maybe I should write you know, an article for PR people on how to really work with an editor. And then I never did that, which was good because then I just kind of used all of those things to my benefit and to my clients' benefits. So I've sat at their desk. I've gotten poorly written press releases. I've gotten press releases with no contact information. Um, so I, I know what they're doing. And I also keep my hand in it a little bit. Um, you know, so I, I, I've been and am one of them. So I know how to talk to the media. Yeah. And you still write, right? I mean, you still yeah. you do articles yeah. and, and you've written books. So it mm -hmm. sort of allows you to kind of do both. Yeah. Um, yeah. I find your world fascinating too. You know, from an architect's point of view, learn that that business and marketing uh, is a passion of mine. And so I've sort of I'm sort of the reverse of you that I became an architect and then discovered business and realized that I love the business end of things. Let's right. let's start our our discussion here about uh, public relations at the mm -hmm. beginning. Sort of let's talk about the basics of of PR. What 
What is PR and how is it different than marketing? Because I know it's different, but how is it different yeah. than those? How are the two different? Right. I kind of see marketing as the overall category and that there's three elements within there. One is business development. So that's getting the job, you know, your networking, RFPs, et cetera. Then there's public relations, which is your communications to the outside. To me, it, it goes from, you know, how the phone is answered, actually answered by a human, I always think is a good idea, um, to, you know, uh, getting magazine articles or writing your, um, you know, writing articles yourself online or in the publications. And then very related is marketing communications, uh, website, um, you know, your LinkedIn, your blogs, your brochures, any, any of the elements that you would then send out to a potential client. And th those two, they're all connected because the PR is in service to the business development and the choices that you make in terms of what you're going to put out there to the public should reflect the work that you want to get back in. So if you're tired of doing kitchen renos, you know, don't get a whole bunch of kitchen renos published. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. And so that's 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 public relations is to get is right. to get work published to to uh, to communicate to the outside world is what you said, right? Right, right. And so there's there's and again, within public relations, there are a few different things. There's the media relations. So that's print online. There are awards because, again, you're presenting your work out there for design awards. There's speaking engagements, a great way to um, you know, to get your, to, to make connections with potential clients. If you do school design, you want to go to the SCUP conference. If you do hotels, you want to go to HD. Um, so you're right in front of potential clients. Let's, let's do, let's get into that a little bit. Let's talk about, you know, the, the entree architect community is made up of small firms, typically, um, typically less than 15 members in their firm. Most of us, the majority of us are less than five or sole practitioners. And so these mm -hmm. are really small firms, people, you know, small businesses, essentially, um, not huge budgets for marketing or PR. What are some things that that market, that that community can do to get their word out, to communicate their, uh, their skills and their, you know, how do, how do they do that? Well, I think that one good way is to really partner with your clients and not take anything for granted. Um, some, the client may be sending out a press release or working with the media. Don't assume that your name will be in that press release. It's something you really need to be proactive with. Now how do you do that tactfully? It's, it, it should be part of the contracts and part of that is in the contract. Okay, well, that's a good but tip if to make sure that yeah. it is in the contract. It's in the AIA contracts, so not always, you know, uh, uh, honored. Um, but it's a it's a conversation to have sooner rather than later with your home clients. You know, some some clients don't want you to photo, you know, won't let you do anything. But it's something. It I think it will attest to your relationship with your clients 
you know, um, can we photograph this? How do you feel about it being published? Um, maybe we can do it without your name. Um, so there, there are a lot of different variations, but it, it's having a real kind of human um, conversation with, with your clients. Yeah, I, I found, I mean, we do residential architecture at my mm -hmm. firm. Um, additions and alterations, you know, whole house renovations. Mm -hmm. um, and it is in our agreement. It's part of our agreement. We use mm -hmm. a, our own agreement. And um, it's, we talk, we, in our agreement, it says we have the right to photograph it and we have the right to publicize it. Um, and we, we review that contract right up front and we mm -hmm. have that discussion. And what I find is that it's usually something, it's a, it's a point of honor that, that clients typically, my clients, when I say that I want to publish your work when we're done, um, they're really honored by that. And I've had, I've had clients who say when they hire me, I want a project that you can publish. Right. You know, well, that's and I, great. And I want it on your website. You know, I want, you know, I want you to promote my site. It's, it's something of pride for them. Mm -hmm. um, and so if you sort of position it in that way, uh, it may also be easier to have that conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And I really do think having it sooner because I find that there maybe there's this kind of fear or timidness to ask for too much because at the end of the day, you just want to be able to build that building, right. you know, um, and don't want to like, you know, rock the boat at all. But it's it's and today where it where we're in a hypermedia, you know, culture. It's almost if you're, you know, if you're not in the media, then you almost don't exist. Right, exactly. Let's take a quick break here to say thank you to two of our platform sponsors here at Entree Architect, True Style Doors and Tanglewood Conservatories. As platform sponsors, these companies have provided funding and support for our overall mission to become an influential force in the profession of architecture. They recognize the need for small firms like you and me to build better businesses in order to be better architects. And both of these companies are run by great people. I've met them. They're passionate about their products and they want to share their knowledge with you. So listen up and connect with them. Say thanks for sponsoring Entree Architect. Then specify their products and by supporting them, you'll be supporting us. TrueStyle is passionate about providing us small firm architects with the inspiration and tools to transform our designs with the most distinctive, authentic, and the most special doors available. With more than 400 made-to-order styles, True Style offers premium MDF doors for painted applications and 20, count them, 20 standard species of wood across all architectural categories from traditional to contemporary and everything in between. Every True Style door is made to order. True Style. Driven by design. Visit TrueStyle.com and start designing your doors today. That's TrueStyle, T-R-U-S-T-I-L-E.com. And my friends at Tanglewood Conservatories, they custom design and they build authentic residential and commercial conservatories, combining the romanticism of the 19th century glass architecture with state-of-the-art technology and master craftsmanship. Whether your designs call for a pool enclosure, a gazebo, a greenhouse, a unique light-filled living space, Tanglewood Conservatories will help you create a custom masterpiece for your clients. These things are beautiful. Check them out at tanglewoodconservatories.com. Just go peek around. Amazing photographs of the things they've built there. Tanglewood Conservatories, anything else, is just a room. For more information, go visit tanglewoodconservatories.com. 
what about other than you know getting published, taking mm-hmm. photographs of the site mm-hmm. and getting it published? What are some other things that architects can do to uh, to get noticed? One of my pet peeves is the building sign. It is remarkable to me how many people do not put a sign up on the at the build at the job site. Yeah. It is the cheapest, easiest. Um, again, sometimes it's like, well, the client is putting one together, or there's the official, you know, sign that lists a thousand people in all caps block letters that you can't read when you drive by. Right. Um, and take a look. The construction companies are never shy about it. Of course, they control it. They're on there on the site, and they have a thousand huge banners. Um, it's just it's the easiest thing to do. It is, and again, there's sometimes there's that fear. Yeah. Maybe that needs to go in the contract, you know, um, and have it be, you know, don't have it be teeny and, you know, thin white type on a black background. You know, you don't need to make it a design problem. Take your logo. If your logo is just letters, then put the word architecture or design, whatever is applicable under it. That is the cheapest advertising and, you know, marketing and profile that you could have. Yeah, I can tell you that works. That works. Mm -hmm. A big majority of our projects reference the sign. It may not be Mm -hmm. the only thing they've seen, but they reference, oh, I've seen your sign all over town. You know, and and it's very, you know, I think it it does. It needs to be very recognizable. It needs to be part of your brand. So when they see Mm -hmm. it, they recognize it. Um, and I, and and what you talked about with with the word architect or design that needs to be legible at twenty five thirty miles an hour. Yes, yes. You know, so that be very. You know, the phone number is less important than the word architecture because if they're interested, they'll turn around and come back and get the phone number. The word that they as they're driving by, they need to know that that sign is the architect sign, and then they'll t- they'll come back and they'll look at it. Um, Absolutely, or then they can Google it. And- yeah. You know, and there you are. And one really good strategy is to be be in different types of venues. So you have your sign. uh, Maybe you have an article in a local newspaper. uh, Maybe you're showing up at an event. So if, if someone sees you two different in two different kinds of venues, they think they've seen you everywhere. Um, that's how our brain works. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so keeping that consistent, I think, is really important. And basically, whatever you do, whether it's your, your social media or writing, make it doable for yourself so that you will, will do it and will be consistent yeah. with you, it, I think. You, you want a strategy, right? I mean, you're talking about absolutely planning this out, saying – this is my strategy. I'm going to mm-hmm. have my sign out there. I'm going to have a Facebook page. I'm going to um, have my website. I'm going to try to do some speaking locally. Um, you know, maybe I'll do the home show. So wherever that your strategy is, mm-hmm. it can be, you know, you, you get recognized in two or three different places. Right. And then, like you said, they think they, that you're the, you know, the biggest name in the, in the, in the region yeah. because they've seen you two or three times. Right. And, and plan it out. I mean, you don't, you work with architects on a business plan. Right. And, and part of your marketing plan has got to be part of that. So 
so that you're allocating those dollars. And those dollars also need to go to photography. Yeah, professional photography. photography professional photography is not an expense, it's an investment. Because at the end of the day, it's really all you have. Um, so that is super, super important. And that'll help you get published because a lot of those help local, you get local publications are looking for that photography. Yeah, a lot of publications are not necessarily sending their own photographers anymore. Um, so with that, you want to be able to have enough photos taken um, at various angles, not all horizontal from half a football field away. Um, I always like to say that I want to see photographs where I feel like I'm a participant rather than a, an observer. And that's a good guideline and also get some good strong verticals because that's what covers look like. Yeah, yeah, that's a good tip. Uh, and details, you know, details sort of bring you right into that project. Some details as well, you yeah. Mix them in. Um, mm -hmm. What are your thoughts about getting published regionally or locally uh, versus nationally? They're, I mean, they're both good. It's all good. Um, regionally, we'll definitely talk to that local market much, you know, much more directly. And sometimes it's it can be, I don't want to say easy, but um, a little easier. The, the editors and those people are, are in your town. If they do events at a store, go there, meet, you know, meet the editors, meet the writers, you know, so you can strike up that kind of personal relationship much easier than you can with the national, you know, magazines. The uh, national magazines, particularly the consumer ones, well, really all of them, the competition for projects, it is harder and harder. Um, because a project is good, generally isn't enough. Not only does it have to be like great and perfect, um, but there needs to be a story to it. What's the story to it? And it's, I know that it can, can be confusing. A lot of people are like, you might look at a magazine and go, wait, my stuff's better than that. And it may be. Um, but you have to remember on the other side, the editors are people. They have their likes, their dislikes. They may have seen 18, um, you know, Eames lounge chairs, you know, in the last 18 projects. Um, you know, it, it, it maybe they just don't like that little kind of tiny mirrored tile, you know, whatever it is, they're human too. But you do need to know the publications. You do need to study them, see where they're at, see what they're doing. Um, and then also these days with, there's fewer pages, actual pages, but there's a lot of space online. So, so many publications have really active, online portals and really more people if you think about it are going to see that and then you can post that on your facebook and you know any media you get you want to leverage that so let your clients potential and existing clients know what's going on with you that could also the online can also be the entry point to the to the print version mm -hmm. we've actually had yeah. we had work um, we actually, Anne-Marie, my wife, who's my partner, and I submitted a, a project of our own house um, in uh, 
this old house magazine for a contest. Mm-hmm. They, they, we didn't win the contest, but we got recognized. And then they published the project on their website. They liked the what they must have gotten some traffic. Then they called, they called us and they wanted to do a print version of it. And so mm-hmm. they came in and they shot the, the project for print version. And then while they were here, because they want to, you know, uh, use their resources wisely, they actually shot three other pieces of our house and did three separate articles in this whole house magazine. Fabulous. And so getting in at the bottom through a public contest uh, got us three spots in this whole right. house magazine. All right. Yeah. And that's what, um, you know, uh, design awards, a lot of publications sponsor them. So that prize is getting published. And then they also get to know you. Then they know right. your work. Um, there are a lot, a lot, a lot of design um, awards programs. So that's another thing that you need to kind of plan out, you know, which will give me the most exposure because um, you can spend an awful lot of money on these. And so you really do want to plan out what's my budget for these design entry fees and which is really, which do I have the most chance of, which are going to give me the most notoriety and mean the most. What you- and with, with awards, because I've, I've, I've run awards uh, committees and so I've been in the room. Again, it's the thing to know is that if you're you don't win an award or you don't get published it's not personal yeah. <laughs> i and and it depends again on the person particularly in juries i've seen a project get an honor award one year that the year before didn't even get a second look it all depends on who the people are yeah and especially the larger competitions as well mm-hmm. the there's so many submissions that that first round i've been on juries too and that first round is a very quick you know eyeball and it goes in this pile or this pile you know because they're just trying to filter out the best projects and so your project which may be one of the best ones may just go in the wrong pile and you're done and so it's it's it's, go ahead yeah and and it's how you present it right i was actually just yesterday reviewing um uh, an award submission because we do that for our clients with a client and we had the beautiful renderings and then we had more of the kind of diagrams and context and he said well don't you want to explain the context and diagrams first I said we we have to think not like an architect in this case we want to bring them in seduce them with the gorgeous image first he goes okay so we do this one image and then the diagrams I said no we do all the beautiful, gorgeous images, make them want to know more. You know, if they're, if they're engaged in that, then they'll want to know more. Yeah, yeah, that's another good tip. A lot of good tips here, Julie. Yeah, well, <laughs> whatever uh, we can do. The, uh, what are your thoughts on working with the Scout? A lot of the, na- the national journals or magazines like Better Homes and Gardens and that kind of right. level magazine, uh, a lot of them, you can you can partner up with a scout who works independently of those magazines, but they they go out looking for projects, looking for articles that they then write, and then they they public you know they propose them to the magazines. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's great because again, those are local local people that you can make a relationship with, and if they really like the project because they're going to be the ones who who write it, 
they're going to really go to bat for you. Yeah, and they also um, have the relationships with the decision got, makers. Yeah, yeah, because they're on their stringers for those, you know, those publications, if they're based in New York or based in Des Moines or whatever, they need those local people. They need those, you know, people in, in all the different cities to report to them what's going on there. Um, there's also, you know, a huge community of freelance writers who write for a lot of different publications. And so if you get to know one of them, they're always going to want to know what's, you know, what do you have that's good? What can I sell to one of the many publications, you know, yeah. that, that, that they work with. So we have, so we have photography and getting published, get, get that out there. There's, there's signs, your construction sign. What's a third one that we could, we could use to, uh, to sort of give them three things that they could take away and, and go do? One of the things that, that is really important is, is having your story and knowing how to talk about it. Yeah, they've heard this before. We've been yeah. talking about this over and over again here at the podcast. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes as architects, um, the, the, the writing and you know, the, the comments can be really laden with jargon and arca-speak and all of that stuff that when we're all together is great. We know what we're talking about. But clients don't always know what you're talking about. And so you want to be on that level. What, one of the things that amazes me about architects is how much else they need to know. One of our clients does um, uh, hospitals and med schools. So I have an hour co long conversation with him. We're not talking about the building at all. We're talking about how doctors are, are trained, the changes in, in how they're trained from 15 years ago to today and what they need to look at tomorrow. So architects are able to put themselves in another person's shoes because they need to, to do that for, for their clients. So look at how they communicate and be able to communicate directly and more simply with them. Yeah. So tell your story, know your story, and then know, your story. And then know how to tell that story. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. So really it's, it's important for that story to be written from the, from your client's point of view, not necessarily yes. from your point of view. Yeah. Yeah. This may be very gratifying for you to do, but that's not your, your point. It's, it's about them. Right. Um, you know, it's like, you know, if I'm looking to hire and I'll get a cover letter from someone that says, this would be really good for me. I, I, I want, you know, I want to know what's going to be good, you know, what they're going to give to us, right. how, how they're going to make our business better and easier. So how are you going to create a home that your client is, is going to love? They've already trusted you. They've selected you out of hundreds of others. So they're already with you. So how are you going to work together to do that? Yeah. So that's so that's that's some, that's a great takeaway. I think I think those three things sort of get focused on publishing, get your word out there either locally or regionally. Um, then then really make sure you have that sign out there. Whatever project you're working on, make sure you have a sign that people can read. Um, mm -hmm. And then the third thing that we talked about is is uh, is knowing your story and knowing how to communicate that story. 
I think Absolutely. those are those are some great great uh, action steps that our our community can go go get out there and and make a difference. So right. any any, any and, other any other thoughts, Julie? Any size firm. Yeah. From one person to five hundred. You know, they're the same. It's a matter of scale. Yeah. Yeah. Do you do you? I know you work with large firms. Do you work with mm -hmm. small firms as well? We do. We do. We 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 have a, a range of firm size. We also, um, as of a program, the marketing and PR blueprint, which is especially formulated for, you know, one to three person firm. I have a partner who specializes in business development and we do a SWOT analysis. We look at, at all of your communications and then we, we create a plan of action with very specific um, things to do and places to go. And then it's a plan that you go and implement. That's great. Where, and, where can they find and, more information about that? Um, uh, there should be some information on my website. Okay. And um, they can always contact me. Um, and it's been great to see, you know, I'll get these emails, I'll get these e-blasts, you know, from, from those blueprint clients. And it's like, yay, they're doing it. They're making it work. Yeah. Yeah, it is so gratifying when you sort of show people the way and then they go do it right. and it works. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's exciting. <laughs> so if people do want to find you online, it's it's Taylor-PR. It's T-A-Y-L-O-R-PR.com. That's your website. Um, right. I'm sure there's a contact link there. If people wanted to email you, they, Got can, it. they can email you through there. On social media, you are Julie Taylor PR at Twitter. And on Facebook, you are Taylor.company. So facebook.com slash Taylor.company. But you can just uh, check out the website and learn all about Julie and her company and what they might be able to, to do for you. Um, Julie, before we wrap up, I want to ask you that one last question that I've been asking a bunch of my, my guests here before we wrap up. What is the one thing that small firm architects can do today, right now, to build a better business for tomorrow? Well, there's um, a tool that's newly available that comes from the AIA National, and it's been part of like the work that I've been doing as public director, and it's the AIA message book. And it, it has, again, like we we're saying, how to build your story, what are the kind of words, how to talk to your clients, how to talk to a school board, what's important about you know, the messages of what architects do, of what you do, how to connect. So it's, they just need to go to new.aia.org and uh, search for message book and download the PDF. There's a lot of great information in there and we're so proud and happy to be able, it's brand new, yeah, you know, to I be able to that. deliver this. Yeah, brand new. Yeah, that's exciting. I will have a, I will find it and we'll have a link on the, on the show notes. So they can just go to right. entrearchitect.com slash episode 144. The number 144 uh, and we'll have a link on the show notes directly to that so they'll be able to find fabulous uh, julie right. thank you very much for spending some time with us here and sharing your knowledge at the entree architect podcast my pleasure it's my favorite topic to talk about complete show notes and a direct link to download this episode will be found at entrearchitect.com slash episode 144 Hey, and don't forget to visit the website to gain access to our digital course. It's free. 
Profit for Small Firm Architects and learn how to build a powerful profit plan that will work for your small firm. Visit EntreeArchitect.com and click the button right there on the homepage. Hundreds of your fellow architects have already taken this course. It's a great place to get started building a better business. EntreeArchitect.com. My name is Mark Arlapage, and I'm an entrepreneur architect, and I encourage you to build a better business so you can be a better architect. Love, learn, and share what you know. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything, yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a 
possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is going to be a priority. When the job is done, we're going to actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.